Welcome back for week number three of this series called Bad Blood. You know, sometimes you have fun doing a series, and I guess there's been some lighthearted minutes in this particular series, but the fact of the matter is there's not much fun involved when you deal with bad blood in any kind of a relationship, but there's a lot of joy if you are able to do that. Sometimes it works out really well. And we've been talking about the fact that we all have some relationships that are characterized by bad blood. By that means just something that hurts the relationship or something that even destroys the relationship, build some kind of a wall there. And there's a lot of reasons that bad blood can be bad. Here's one we've talked about is simply this because the quality of life is based on the quality of our relationships. It's not based on how much money you have or how successful you are. The quality of your life is based on the quality of your relationships. And so that's one of the reasons that bad blood can be bad. It can be bad because Jesus doesn't want his followers to be characterized by bad blood. He tried to take care of things. He wants us to take care of things. It's bad because bad blood in one relationship can spill over and cause bad blood in other relationships. And so that's the reason we have to deal with them. So We've been talking about this particular fact. You can have peace about each relationship. You know, sometimes uh, some relationships, you just can't do anything about it. But you can have peace about each relationship, even without peace in that relationship. I was recently made aware of a book. I haven't read the book, just read about the book, the introduction to the book. But it's called The Best of Enemies written by a guy by the name of Osha Gray Davidson. It highlights a relationship between a guy whose name was Claiborne C.P. Ellis. C.P. is this, you know, in the South, we call people by their initials a lot of times. Claiborne C.P. Ellis and Miss Ann Atwater. Now, in the 1960s, in Durham, North Carolina, the two were adversaries. They were enemies. C.P. Ellis was the exalted cyclops of the Ku Klux Klan in that area. And Miss Atwater was a civil rights activist. You can see why they would be on opposite sides and why they might be enemies. They found themselves particularly at odds with each other over the school integration issue of that period of time. They knew each other. They cursed each other. They yelled and screamed at each other. They hated each other. There was bad blood in this relationship. But in the early 1970s, Ann and C.P. were, uh, by court order, forced to sit down and co-chair a committee to confront the problems that were associated with court-ordered desegregation. Now, that's actually when they started working together a little bit later. But they gradually developed a friendship, these people that were from such opposite sides of the spectrum. Fast forward to when Mr. Ellis passed away on November the 3rd, 2005. The funeral was for family members only with one exception, and that is that Ann Atwater was invited because her friendship with CP had grown so close and had lasted for such a long period of time. Mr. Ellis's daughter tells a story of something that happened at the funeral. Anne arrived early. Nobody else was there. She came and just sat down on the front row. You can imagine a casket here. And she came and sat down on the front row and just was quietly sitting there when the silence was broken by a man who walked up to her, cleared his throat and said, excuse me, ma'am, but this service is for Mr. Claiborne Ellis. And her response was, yes, I know. I'm aware of that fact. The man said, I'm sorry, but the funeral is for family members only. And she said, 
I know that too. And he said, well, are you a family member? And she said, yes. And he said, well, I'd just like to know, how are you related to Mr. Ellis? And she said, oh, he's my brother. And so, uh, and later on, by the way, she was being interviewed by the author of the book. And he said, did you really say that? And she said, yeah, I really did, because that's the way it was between us. It was like he was my brother and I was his sister over a period uh, of time. Now, that was possible because C.P. Ellis and Anna Atwater came to the point where they sat down with each other they listened to each other. They empathized with each other. They saw things from the other's point of view, and they forgave each other. And it was a two-way street. What a great story of people overcoming bad blood. Books are written. Movies are produced about happy endings like this because we like things to work out in the right way. Don't we? We like people to get along. And wouldn't it be great if the story of your bad blood ended exactly the same way. Now, we have, for the last couple of weeks, started out with a single verse. It was written down by the Apostle Paul, a man that knew about bad blood. He had it from the family side. He had it from the Roman government side. He had it from the Christian side. He had it from every side. But he said this in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all people, with all human beings. If it is possible, now that means two things. Number one, it means that it might not be. It might not be possible to live at peace with a certain person or somebody. But it also means there is a possibility. You know, maybe it would. If you gave it a try, maybe it would work out. And then that second phrase, as much as depends on you, says, if you do all you can do, if you go as far as you can go, it will be worth it, even if there is never any peace in that relationship, because there may be peace about the relationship. And, and, and your efforts really not about that other uh, person altogether, or maybe not even primarily about that other person. It's about the fact that it's best for you to make every effort. It's best for your relationship with God and your relationship with others and your peace of mind that you take every step and you do everything that you can to repair a broken relationship. Now, in week number one, a couple of weeks ago, we said this, the path to peace is paid with empathy. And we said that empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. Empathy, uh, I likened it to uh, you know, uh, a professional golfer making a putt and you say, you, you want to say, would you go ahead and hit the ball already? You know, cause they're walking all over it, looking from all points of view, but it might mean a hundred thousand dollars. It could mean a million dollars for these guys make it or miss it. And so empathy is about taking the long walk around and trying to see things from the other person's point of view. Now, in that passage, we're not going to read the scriptures, but Paul continues in Romans chapter 12, and he goes on to talk about uh, the fact that you shouldn't take personal revenge, that you leave revenge to God, you let God take care of it. And so last week we added to the first thought, and the second thought was this, forgiveness is the vehicle to move you down the path. Uh, the path is pay, the, to peace is paid by empathy, but forgiveness is the vehicle that moves you down the path. Forgiveness is a process, we said. For forgiveness sometimes takes time. It, sometimes it's not instantaneous. It is not condoning what the other person did. You don't ever have to say that person was right or good in what they did. It is not forgetting what the other person uh, said or did because 
you may not be able to forget. Sometimes it's not important. Sometimes it's important to remember so that you can continue to live and deal with the situation. Forgiveness does not demand an apology. You may never get an apology from that other person. Forgiveness is about pursuing peace and freedom and being like Jesus. When you pursue it, it's really more about you and your relationship with God than it is anything else. Forgiveness means that you can have peace about a relationship even when you can't have peace in the relationship. So it's up to us to take the first step. Now, the question is, what is the first step? Maybe you've already taken the first step. Maybe you're way on down the road. But what is the first step? Now, in the story of C.P. Ellis and Ann Atwater, the first step is that they were forced to sit down with each other. Court order. They had to sit down side by side and co-chair this committee. In 1971 is when this took place. It only met for two weeks, 10 business days, Monday through Friday, two different weeks. Uh, but that, but it, it was long enough for them, the two of them together, to take the long walk of empathy, to sift through the lies. Each one believed about the other one, disregard those lies and build a lasting friendship. Now, to help us understand the first step, what we're going to do today, first of all, we're going to take a look at two truths. Now, we've been looking at, uh, at some statements that the Apostle Paul made and recorded in Scripture for us. Today, we're going to look, take a look at two truths and two different statements that Jesus made. And so we're going to call them truth number one and truth number two. So here's truth number one. Jesus was talking to some people. Maybe he was preaching a sermon, but right in the middle uh, of this talk about who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven and about how that we should not disregard those whom God loves, and particularly they were talking about children. You know, kids are unimportant, so they were not wanting them to come speak with Jesus. Jesus made this statement. He said, Matthew 18 and 15, moreover, or therefore, or because of what I just said, if your brother sins against you. Now, here's the situation. This is a situation where you have been wronged. Somebody did something to hurt you. So Jesus said, so I'm talking now about you have been wronged. What are we supposed to do? Moreover, if your brother sins, here's what you do. Share it in small group as a prayer request. I think that's what Jesus said next. Isn't that what Christians do? You know, the, the, they, they tell everybody else about it. So share it as a prayer request so people can say, oh, you poor, poor thing. Nobody should have to go through what you're going through. After all, you're just sharing it because we want to be specific in prayer, right? We want everybody to know what's going on so they can pray properly for us when really all we're doing is gossiping. Uh, no one should, you know... It, it, we're just trying to get the word out there. We'd rather talk to anyone other than talking to the one person we should talk to. Or maybe it's this, moreover, if your brother sins against you, vaguely post about it in social media. We'll put it out there. Got a DUI um, photo of somebody. Well, we just need to be praying for John, you know, because uh, of what happened in his life. May God bless him and his family. That's crazy. That's gossiping. That, uh, that, that violates what Jesus had to say. But that's what Christians do. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not against prayer requests. You understand that? Prayer requests are good, and being specific in prayer requests are good. But when we use it just to, to, to uh, put out the dirty laundry and get back at somebody, it is sin. It is not 
prayer requests, but, that's, but we, we do it that way sometimes. Well, here's what Jesus really said, Matthew 18, 15. He said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go. That's the key word today. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. First thing you do, first step, you go to this person one-on-one, you and that individual, go and have a conversation with that particular individual. Now, there's a couple more steps after this that we're not going to get into to today that, you, that you're to take. One of them has just to do, I think, with people that are members of the same church uh, together. But everyone starts like this. The first step is always go and talk with the person. Go and have a conversation with that individual. CP and Ann Atwater were forced to sit down with each other. We're not forced to do that. We don't want to do it. It's not very, we don't like doing that. So most of the time we don't want to do that. It's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. It costs us. It seems like it's not worth it. But if you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, it's what Jesus commands us to do. So if someone offends you, Jesus said the first step is you go and you have a conversation with that person. You go and you tell them exactly how they have offended you and talk to them about that. Now, in a few minutes, we'll talk about when and why and how to go. But Jesus made another statement. So the first truth was this. When you have been offended by somebody, the first thing you should do is go and talk to them about it. Not make it a prayer request, not post it on social media, not do anything else about it, not tell everybody else in the world about it, but go to that individual. Now, here's truth number two. Near the beginning of, of Jesus' most famous sermon, we don't have a lot of full sermons, but we have the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it covers three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. And near the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, which starts with the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, and so on. And, and then he, he said to Christians, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. And after that, he kind of raised the standards on the commandments uh, of Christ. He said, you know, for instance, there's this big commandment that we're all aware of, you shall not commit murder. But Jesus said that that commandment extended not just to physical murder, but to the anger that led to the murder or to the anger that led to, uh, to, to looking down at a person and, and, and just casting that person out, not wanting to have anything to do with that individual. So such wrongs had to be dealt with and made right. And so Jesus said this in Matthew's gospel, chapter five and verse 23, right after that kind of stuff, he said, therefore, based on what I've just said about making things right, about not treating people wrong, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. We'll just stop there for a minute. If you bring your gift to the altar. Now the picture for Jesus' listeners was of a Jewish person bringing an animal sacrifice to the temple to sacrifice so that they would, so they would gain cleansing in a pictorial fashion, a typical cleansing from their sins. Now even in the Old Testament when God talked about that, he said it's not the, the sacrifice itself isn't the most important thing. The most important thing is the condition of your heart when you bring the sacrifice. But it's a really important time. So you can imagine a, a Jewish man for his family. You know, he's, he's worked hard. He's spent his money. He's got this animal. It's taken all of his time. He's not at home working. And he brings this animal to be sacrificed to the Lord. And let's take a look at the second part of that verse. It says, therefore... If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember, now you get there, this important time, you remember that your brother has something 
against you. Now, the other case it is if somebody has hurt you. Now the case is not that you have been wrong, but that you have hurt somebody else. And so you put all this time and all this money and all this effort into this ceremonially making things right with God, but you remember somebody's mad at me. Mom's mad at me. You know, my brother's mad at me. My boss is bad at me. My coworker, somebody is mad at me. What should you do about that? Well, in verse 24, Jesus says this, leave your gift therefore before the altar. Don't make the gift yet. Don't make things right with God yet. Before you do that, go. There's that word again, go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So if you have been wronged, according to the last verse, what should you do? You should go. And if somebody has wronged you, what should you do? You should go. That's the first step. Go to that individual. Whether you have been wronged or whether you have wronged somebody else, you go. Are there any exceptions to that? Well, uh, we'll talk about boundaries more next week when we come to the end. But for the most part, the simple answer is when there's a problem between you and somebody else, you go and you take care of that. It's not the fun thing to do, but you just go and take care of it. Now, that leads us to three questions that I want us to look at uh, briefly this morning. The first question is, is why? You know, why should I go? You know, what's the big deal here? You know, let's get rid of that person and we're not going to care about it anymore. But uh, why should you go? Well, let's go back to that verse, Matthew 5, 24. Leave your gift, therefore, by the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother. Before you can be reconciled to God, it says, first be reconciled to your brother, and then you come and you offer your gift to reconcile yourself with God. So here's what Jesus is saying, I believe, in that particular verse. He's saying this, if you want to make things right with God, first you make things right with others. I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm just talking about your general relationship with God. If you want to make things right with God, first you make things right with other people. Remember that your happiness in this life is based on relationships. Peace with God, peace with yourself, peace with others. If you have those three, a peace in those three areas, you are a happy individual. If you don't have peace in those three areas, you are not a happy individual. But you cannot have peace with God and disregard your relationships with people. You cannot have peace with God and hurt people and step on people and push people aside and mistreat people. It does not work that way. Here's something that's verse we've read a few times before. First John chapter four and verse 20, uh, the apostle John wrote this. If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a Liar. That's pretty strong wording, isn't it? He, uh, John says he's a liar if he hates his brother, but he says he loves God. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And then verse 21, this command we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And so the answer to why, why should I do that is because your relationship with God depends on it and your happiness depends on it. That's the why you should go and take care of this unpleasantry, your, 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 uh, your communion with God, uh, your fellowship with God is interrupted when your relationship with people is not what it should be. Now, the second question is the question, when, when should I go? How long should I wait? Well, go back to that verse of scripture again, Matthew 5, 24. Leave your gift, therefore, 
before the altar and go your way first. Be reconciled to your brother. Go first. Just go right away. Go before you do anything else. Don't delay. Things will only get worse. Well, should I get some advice? Well, perhaps, probably, most of the time, maybe. You know, I, I'm not quite sure. But I know you should go as soon as possible. Now, I haven't always done that. And it always creates problems when I, when I haven't. But when you've been wronged, you take the first step. You go engage in a conversation. And when you have wronged somebody else, you take the first step. You go and you repent of that and you get in, involved in a conversation with people. Which leads us to the third question. We talked about why and we talked about when. How do I do that? We go back to that verse of Scripture again. Leave your gift. Therefore, uh, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come take care of it. First, be reconciled. That word reconciled means to make peace with an individual, to make things right with the individual. Uh, one guy says it denotes, this particular word denotes mutual concession after mutual hostility. So they've been at each other over something, and now there has to be concessions on both sides. Sometimes we hurt or offend somebody without even knowing it. Have you ever done that? Didn't even know you'd hurt anybody's feelings, but it, but it happened. I, a story came to my mind this week as I uh, was thinking about it. There was a lady, some of you will remember her. She was a member of this church for years, but she's been with Jesus now for 15 years or so. Her name was Maybelle MacArthur. Maybelle was 35 years or so older than me. She was, when she was closing in on 90 years of age, she was still keeping children, helping, helping people raise their children. Maybelle was a was a big woman, you know, tall woman, imposing woman. She had huge hands, and she had a finger, a bony finger. She could point at you. It seemed like it, it reached out about five feet, you know, when she pointed it at you. But one day, somebody called me up, and they said, Maybelle is not happy with you. I said, she's not. No, she isn't. I said, well, why? I, I don't know, or I can't tell you or something, but, but Maybelle's not happy with you. So I thought, well, I better go over to Maybelle's house. So I went over to Maybelle's house and I said, well, Maybelle, uh, I understand there's some kind of a problem. Yes, there is. I said, well, what is it? You know what it is. You know what the problem is. I, I, I have no idea. Yes, you do. We went, through, went round and round on that a couple of times. Yes, you know exactly what the problem is. You know what you did. And I'm going, honest, honest. You know, I don't know what happened. Well, here's what happened. The previous Sunday night, we were still meeting in a funeral home at the time, by the way, before as we were building this building. The previous Sunday night, Maybelle was sitting in church and her eyes started hurting her and it blurred her vision and she scared her. So when she was walking out the door, she said to me, you know, told me what had happened. And my response to her was, Maybelle, that sounds serious. You better see a doctor. And that's what she was mad about is because I told her to see a doctor rather than praying with her. And so once I realized what the problem was, you know, I said, well, Maybelle, I was wrong. I was wrong. I should have prayed with you. I apologize to you for not praying to you. And that's never going to happen again. You tell me that there's a problem, then we're going to pray 
about it, and we were buddies again. You know, now that's real simple. Most things are a lot more complicated than that. And this one could have been gotten a lot more complicated if I just let it go and let it go and let it go. But maybe Ellen and I were buddies before that, and we were buddies after that. And I did something, and I offended her, and I didn't even realize I'd done anything. It wasn't on purpose at all, but I admitted. I just said, yep, I was wrong about that. So that leads me to this statement. You make things right by confessing your wrong, by repenting. Think about it this way. Number one, when you've been wronged, the first step is to forgive the other person. You know, So you feel like somebody has wronged you. Step number one, we talked about it last week, you forgive. Number two, when you have wronged somebody else, the first step is to repent. The first step is to confess your wrong and repent of that. Now, when you repent, think about, uh, and by the way, uh, I find a lot of times that um, both things are true on both sides of most issues. Almost every person thinks in every conflict each person thinks the other one is at least partially uh, at fault. And so uh, most of the time in working any situation out, you have to repent of what you feel is wrong and forgive regardless. Well, what about that other person you know, who's mostly wrong? Well, only God can take care of them. Only God can do that. You, know, you do what you're supposed to do. Uh, you do it to the best of your ability. may not be perfect. You do it to the best of your ability. And let God take care of the situation. I, my mind goes to, to Jesus and Peter uh, and John walking along together as recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 21. And, and Jesus is talking to Peter about what he's supposed to do. And, and he said, yeah, I'm going to do that, but how about that guy? How about John? And Jesus said, don't worry about him. You do what I tell you to do, and don't you worry about that other person right there. And so uh, let God take care of the situation. Let God take care of their attitude. You can only control you. You can only do something about you. Now, when you repent, here's a couple of things. Number one, you take full responsibility for your wrong. Not, I'm sorry if I offended you. That doesn't get it. Oh, I didn't realize you were so sensitive about everything. If that's the way you're going to be, then okay, you know, that's not it. Instead, you just say, hey, look, I know I'm probably, I probably have some issues in this situation, so I'm going to apologize for my part. Number two, you make no excuses for your behavior. I was tired. I was stressed. I was on something, you know, at the time. The doctor gave me this, uh, this medicine. I was depressed. I was just in a bad place in my life when I did that. No excuses. I was wrong. I apologize. Number three, then you lay out a plan for your change. Could be real simple. From now on, when you tell me there's something wrong, we're going to pray about it right then and right there before I suggest you go to see a doctor. But that's it. Now, <clears throat> reconciliation is this. Think about this. Reconciliation requires that we turn a confrontation into a conversation. I am absolutely con convinced that one of the biggest problems that we have in our world today is because it's all about confrontation. It's all about my rights and your wrongs. It's all about yelling and screaming at each other and trying to put the other person down. In a conversation, which is what we need, both people speak honestly and both people listen to what the other person is having to say. That's tough, that's uncomfortable, that's inconvenient, that's humbling, but it's worth it 
because it will bring peace with God and with yourself. And uh, if you wait, the longer you wait, the worse it gets. Now, sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you can't make peace with the other individual, but you can have peace with God and peace with yourself if you do everything that you can. Now, we looked at the words of Jesus in Matthew 18, where he talks about when you have been wronged. We looked at the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 when he talks about when you've wronged somebody else, and he tells both, both people in both situations to go. Go and take care. Of whether you're right or whether you're wrong or whoever's wrong, go and take care of the situation, and here's how you go. Number one, you go immediately. It will only get worse. It will only affect your other relationships, your relationship with God, your relationship with the people that are around you. So resolve it as soon as possible. Brought a verse of scripture to mind in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. The apostle Paul wrote this, be angry and do not sin. Now, most of the time we sin when we get angry, but anger in and of itself is not a sin. You can be angry in the right way at the right things. But what he's saying here is don't sin through your anger. So here, here exactly what this means is just a, a guideline anyway. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, take care of it as soon as you can. If you can get, get it taken care of before you lay your head down on the pillow, do it. But take care of it as soon as you can. So here's how you go. Number one, you go immediately. Number two, you go directly. Now, we'd usually talk to anybody else except that individual. But Jesus says, go directly to that person. It's tough, but Jesus tells us to do that. Uh, go to that person that has hurt you or go to that person that you think you might have hurt. And then number three, go humbly. You're not God. I'm not God. You're not always right. I'm not always right. We are not necessarily given the job of assessing who is right and who is wrong. Paul wrote this. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, he said, Brethren, if a man, person, is overtaken in any trespass, he's broken God's law in any way, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. We could translate that humility. Say, go humbly. Spirit of humility, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So you go immediately, you go directly, you go humbly, you just go. Whenever there's an issue, you go. You do everything you can. If you figure something out later that you could do, you do that in order to try to make the relationship right. It may never be right. It may never, ever work out. And, if, and that's not your responsibility. It's not your responsibility to be sure it works out. You can't force anything to work out the right way. But what you can do is do your part, if it's possible, as much as it relies on you, you be sure that you have peaceful relationships. And always remember this. When you were still the enemy of God, when you were a sinner separated from God, Jesus came from heaven. God loved you so much that he came and died on a cross. He came and lived like you live, became like you are, so that he could die on the cross to pay the price of your sin and it wasn't because you were good. It wasn't because you were great or anything of that nature. It wasn't because you were right. It's because he loved you. 
and he, did, he died on the cross for your sins. Now, if you've never trusted him as your Savior, we always want to conclude our service by giving you the opportunity to do that by saying, well, I, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from God, and therefore I want to have that relationship with him. You can pray to him and have that relationship right now, instantly, today. But if you've already done that, what a great time to say, I want, to have, I want my relationship with God to be right before I take the Lord's Supper tonight, I want my relationship with God to be right. And so I want to forgive and I want to repent. And I want to be everything that I can possibly be. I want my relationships to be right. I can think of a couple things that I'm dealing with that I'm working with myself right now. Maybe you can think of some things that you're dealing with right now. Whatever that is, whatever that is, only you and God know exactly how to work it out. But take the first step to the right thing. It might involve repentance, it might involve forgiveness, or it might involve both things. Let's pray. Father, I know you're here with us today, and I thank you for that. <clears throat> I don't know, I don't know exactly the things I need to do in my life except to take care of some situations and certainly don't know what's going on in each of our lives, but we just want to be right with you. We want to honor you. We want to honor others. We want to be what you would have us to be. Give us the grace to do that. Give us the wisdom to do that uh, before we leave this place this morning. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.